title of my subject this week is The Secrets of God's Timing. The Secret of God's Timing. Um, and uh, I was reading Psalm 73 uh, this week, and I felt the Lord, sorry, Psalm 75, I said it's 75, uh, and I was struck, I, I felt the Lord say to me, go to Psalm 75 and read it, and uh, that doesn't happen to me very often, but I felt that I should, um, and so I opened it and I read it and I thought there's nothing in that that I get anything out of at all, God, I don't know why you've asked me to look at this, um, but I read it again, and, and I read this, and it said, we give thanks to you, O God, we give thanks for your wondrous works declare that your name is near. And this was the verse that struck me. When I choose the proper time, I will judge uprightly. And it's, God is saying, when I choose, I choose the time and I do things in my own time. And I felt God asked me to speak on the subject of, of his timing. Um, when God wants to do things and when God doesn't want to do things. Uh, and understanding and discerning the timing of God in our lives. And I think there's a great secret to, to the Christian life. Once we understand and become confident in the timing of God, it can release things in us that enable us to really live uh, freely and uh, happily in the will of the Lord. Um, for those of us that have followed John and Ruth's house saga... Um, this, uh, what was it, was it last week? Um, I think for about the sixth time, uh, their house chain fell through again. Um, and so those of any of you who don't know who John and Ruth are, John and Ruth are uh, one of the other elder couples within the church, um, uh, part of the leadership, is what I mean, not older. Um, uh, and uh, <coughs> uh, and they, their desire is to buy a house just around the corner, right, right around the corner from Pat and Gemma, uh, their daughter with all their grand grandkids, uh, but their main reason for buying the house is that they can serve the church and that they can open up their home and invite people into their home. At the moment they live uh, about 20 minutes away in Eltham and it's a very noble thing but yet for some reason it's been such a, uh, a difficulty moving house. It's been all, all kinds of trouble and they've lost loads of money in it. It's been very, very frustrating for them and once again uh, about a week or so ago the house fell through or not you know the, the, one of the ones in their chain fell through and so they were kind of not quite back to square one but it was still not working um, and and poor old John no John um, John will freely admit that he's not the most patient of men um, and he likes to get on and do things uh, John he's very good at he likes to task list and deliver it and so for someone like John to have to kind of wait again it's been really a challenge for him um, and uh, so actually a few of us got together this week in the middle of the week, uh, didn't we Steve, and we prayed into the house situation and I got a text yesterday afternoon to say that the house that had fallen through is now sold again, um, as in someone's put an offer in it, so the, the whole thing's back on, um, praise God, um, so you know, they did say keep praying because it could still go wrong again, um, but there's a question isn't it, why is it taking so long? Why is it taking so long for this house move to go through? So frustrating. I've got another friend of mine, uh, Steve and Anna Gale, if you know them, uh, they're in Eltham and they, uh, they felt God has called them to move down to Heathfield, uh, to Devon, uh, to support the church, one of the, church, the MLG churches down there. And so they're being willing to up sticks, leave London, move all the way down to rural Devon. Um, I look at Alice when I say that, you know, lovely Devon. Um, and they just cannot sell their house. 
They can't sell their house. And you ask the question, well, why? Why is it taking so long for these people who want to do what God wants them to do to sell their house? It's just so frustrating. And uh, we knew someone else. Um, I heard of someone else this week, and they put their house in the market, and like, it sold within five minutes. You know, how is it that these things work like that? I mean, Mark, Mark, bless him, has been, what, sick for about three weeks now, is it? Three and a, three and a bit weeks. And, uh, you know, and you kind of ask yourself the question, God, why has it taken so long for Mark to get better? We've prayed and it hasn't, nothing's happened. It doesn't seem to have worked out in the timing that we want. Has anyone ever had that experience? Feeling like they're waiting for God to do something and it hasn't happened in the time that we would have wanted or we would have liked. Still waiting, amen, absolutely. Many of us still are indeed waiting, that's right. Um, I mean, the, the verse that everyone will, of course, go to is Ecclesiastes chapter, chapter 3. We all, do we know the verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 3? It says, there is a, <coughs> to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. And then it repeats, there's a time to live, there's a time to die, there's a time to sow, there's a time to reap, there's a time to make peace, there's a time to make war. Um, and it, it carries on like that. And it gets to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. And I love this verse. It says... He has made everything beautiful in his time. He has made everything beautiful in his time. And this morning I believe that the Lord wants us to come into a new experience of that truth. That God has made everything beautiful in his time. And you may be waiting for something this morning or being challenged or prompted by God. And I want to encourage you that God wants to make everything beautiful in his time. Because we know, don't we, it, it, it says uh, his timing is perfect. Um, it says for a thousand years in his sight are but as yesterday when it's past. Psalm 90. It says he sets the times for the nations to rise and fall in Acts 17 verse 26. And it says, Psalm 31 says, my times are in his hands. So we know that God has timings but that our timings don't always match up with his timing. So what are the secrets this morning to being able to get confident or relax into what God has got and his times for us? And so these are some of the secrets that I want to share with you this morning. The first is this, right? That we need, we always need, every moment of our life, we need, but particularly when we're struggling with things, we need a clear vision of God. We need to see God, right? When we're waiting for something, we need to find God in a fresh way. And if you are waiting for something in your life or you are feeling frustrated by God, you need to find a sense of God speaking, his word, the sight, the revelation of God in your life. Because God wants you and I to live by discernment, right? We are called to live by discernment. What do I mean by that? Well, what God is doing is not necessarily the obvious thing that's happening in natural life. If we live by sight, by what we can see, then we can get very frustrated and very angry and annoyed. So if I'm thinking about poor old John and Ruth, if you were looking at it on a natural level, you would say, well, this is ridiculous. Why is it that John and Ruth cannot move house? It seems so unfair. All the chain is in place and their attitudes are right and everything seems good. Why is it not happening? But we are called to live by discernment, by a revelation knowledge, not just by a head knowledge. When you're willing to say to the Lord, God, I can't figure this out, 
but I need to trust you, so will you please give me some revelation? God is able to work in your life. And that's the thing that you need. You, you will find when you come to that position of saying, God, will you show me again who you are and what you're trying to do in this situation, right? You will find that you are able to wait in a place of peace. And if you, so often we don't do that, do we? We immediately, we start to get more and more wound up and more and more frustrated and more and more irritated and more and more annoyed that all these things aren't happening. But we've never gone back to God and said, God, will you show me? what you're doing in this situation. Because God's ways are not necessarily our ways, are they? And so that's where we always have to start. Uh, who's heard of the, most of you will know, won't you, the story of Joseph in Genesis. Now Joseph was a man, uh, he started off as a boy, and he had these amazing visions and dreams, didn't he? Uh, and he had these visions that he would be a, a, the 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 kind of the one that was elevated and all his son, his brothers and his dad in fact would bow down to him uh, and, and then it turned out that life did not turn out at all how he'd anticipated. He had the magic coat, a beautiful coat and he was the special one and the chosen one and where did he end up? He ended up in a pit, he ended up becoming a slave, he ended up in prison, he ended up working for years and years, nobody knowing who he was and you would have thought he was falsely accused, he, was, he would have been, how frustrated would you have been to be in that, in that prison, having been falsely accused of something you didn't do. And you've never really done anything wrong, but you're still waiting for this promise. You see, you, but Joseph knew something. Joseph knew that God had promised things for his life. And so Joseph was able to wait in peace and find God for what God had said. And has God said something to you about what's going to happen? Because, you know, I, I don't know about you, but when God speaks something to me, I have this like, desire to put an immediate time frame on it, and generally that time frame doesn't last very long. But you see, if God has spoken something, then you can be confident that God will bring it to pass. God is able to do what he wants to do. If we have had that revelation, that vision of God, then we can be confident in waiting to see it come to pass. If God has said something for your life, you don't need to try and make it happen because you can allow God to bring it to happen. Joseph didn't try and make it happen. He just went with it. And eventually God put him in a position where he was number two in the whole of the kingdom of Egypt, able to save the people of Israel. I was chatting to a friend this week. I had dinner with some friends, Helen and I had dinner. And uh, I, uh, I got to asking them a question, which was this question, what is God's purpose for your life? Well, that's not the kind of question I ask everybody when I go for dinner. So tell me, Debbie, what's God's purpose for your life? Um, <clears throat> but the conversation had led that way. They were feeling quite frustrated. They were asking this very question. They said to me, Tim, it feels like we've waited and waited for God to do something. And it just feels like we've wasted the last few years. And I said to, I said to them, well, what is God's purpose for your life? And they told me about some prophetic words that God had given for them when they'd got married. Um, and, uh, and I said, yeah, that's great. I said, but, you know, you, so first of all, you know, if God said it, you can relax into it. Joseph was in a time of preparation, wasn't he? He was prepared, God was preparing him for the moment that he was going to be ready for that thing. But also, God's main purpose for you and I is this, to prepare us to spend life with him in eternity. Do you believe that? Right? Whether or not you have more money now, right, or whether or not your life 
gets a bit easier or you find yourself a bit more pain-free is second on God's list of concerns for your life. What God wants is to prepare you for eternity. The pain that you are experiencing this morning is temporary. It is temporary. In the grand scheme of eternity, right, how long is eternity? Forever, right? And how long is forever, Samson? Forever and ever and ever, right? So how long is, how long is, is five years in comparison to eternity? Not very long, is it? How long is 10 years or 20 years? And yet our minds, we, we live in this world where we're living by what we can see in front of us. But God wants to bring you to a place where you are so at one with him and at peace with him that you are ready to spend eternity with him. And that's his whole purpose, to bring you to a place where you know him and you enjoy him and you're with him. And that only comes when we have a revelation of him. And so this morning, I want to challenge you, if you are struggling with waiting for God to bring something for you, or you need God to do something for you, the first thing that God, I can guarantee what God wants to do without fail in your situation, is to bring you to a place where you know him more deeply. Because that is the thing that really matters. That is the thing that lasts for eternity. That's the first thing we need. If we're to understand the secret of God's timing, it's to understand that we need to see what God is doing, living by discernment, not just by what we can see. The second thing we need to do, the second secret, I think, to uh, living in in the joy of God's timing is this. We need to stop being so obsessed by the clock. We need to stop being so obsessed by the clock, right? We focus an awful lot of attention, particularly in the Western world, on the clock and the calendar, right? I don't know about you, but you're thinking, when's my alarm going to go off? When, my, when is my report due? When have I got to get somewhere for this thing, to pick up the kids from that thing or to be at this thing? And our lives are run, aren't they, by a clock. Do you know, um, apparently, the most commonly used noun in the English language, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, is the word time. Right? That's the most commonly used noun, is the word time. Apparently, uh, year and day are also in the top five. Right? Um, and so phrases like last time, reading time, quality time, are full of pepper our speech. Right? The, the, we are just obsessed as a, as a nation, as a society, as a culture, we're obsessed by time. Um, has anyone spent any... I don't... Uh, yeah. Yeah, because we trade them so young. What's the time? What's the time? What's the time? All of you get your phone. If, don't get your phones out. But if you've got your phone out, what do you get for free? Time. The time. You get a clock. First thing you see when you work at your thing is, is the clock, right? You see your time. We, we tell people off. We teach our kids at school, don't be late. Yeah, don't be late, right? And schools get into big trouble, don't they, David, right? And schools do huge, make huge efforts. They come up with, like, um, mascots and everything, and they give prizes to kids that are there on time every day. And we are obsessed with time. If you go to Africa, right, anyone spent much time in Africa, right? Well, Joel, Joel's from uh, uh, Peru, right? I think they have a different concept of time, don't they, Right? Yeah, it's just a different way of living, isn't it? There's no one sitting there looking at the clock and saying, right, okay, it's, it's 10. It's 10 o- and, and at 10.01, everyone in England is annoyed because we haven't started the meeting. Whereas, like, in Africa, you know, 10 is more like kind of, you know, well, it's a, it's a time, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to be there at that time, yeah? Um, and uh, I, I read a scientific study. It was 104 participants got together, and they gave them two hours' work for a fictional company. And then they split them into two groups, 
and one group were told how much they were paid per minute and the others were not. The others were told they were just working for, for two hours. And then they did a biological test. They measured their saliva uh, and apparently they found the chemicals that your body produces under stress were 25% higher in those people that were counting the minutes and the time for which they worked. So a 25% increase in stress when you're basically watching the clock, right? The, that, the, the impact of that on our lives is just so significant, right? And, and on a, on a, I mean, on a personal level, my biggest issue is I, the biggest thing that I feel most stressed about in my life is wasting time because I'm brilliant at wasting time. Right? But I hate the fact that I waste time. I feel like I should be more productive. I feel like I should do things. The thing that makes me feel most upset in my life is when I feel like, oh, I, you know, I know that I need a rest, but then I have like two hours where I watch the TV and then I think to myself, oh, what a waste of time. Maybe I should have been doing something. Maybe I should have been answering emails or I should have been doing something or helping Helen do something. Uh, and most stress in our life occurs because I, I understand the value of sitting down. My wife does not. Right? She just keeps going and going and going and going and working, working, working. And, and uh, well, it, well, yeah, I don't know. But it's, um, uh, and, and you know, it's, do you know when, you, when you, I don't know about you, but if you live your life like that, it sucks the joy out of you. Has anyone else found that? When you're constantly stressed about whether you're wasting time or not, you find yourself stressed out. And I know I do, and I feel stressed. I've wasted this, I've wasted that. And the problem is, is we become so obsessed with watching the clock, making the most of every minute, trying to make sure we manage you know, every, our calendar and we try to make it as effective as possible, we've become obsessed by a clock. We've become obsessed by time. And so when things don't happen in the timescales that we think, we are constantly worried about the time. What I could be doing this, you know, if only I was free to do this, or if only this happened, and I could do this with my time or that with my time. But here's the question. Is it possible that we are, when we ask the question, when God, that we're possibly asking the wrong question? God is far less interested in time than we are. When you, when God sits, doesn't he, and he oversees eternity, and then when he sees you and I fretting about 10 minutes that we've spent doing something wrong, or not doing something as productive, one wonders whether God is as bothered about it as we are. Do you understand what I mean? And I think that we need to find a release in realising that God is not so much interested in when things happen, but about the fact that ultimately he will bring things to happen. You know, Jesus, interestingly, you know, we talk about Jesus knowing when things were going to happen, but Jesus doesn't know when he's due to return. In Matthew chapter 24, 30, verse 36, it says this, concerning Jesus saying, concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Jesus does not know when he is due to return. Even Jesus doesn't know everything and when all the times are going to happen. So we should not be surprised that we do not know when things are going to happen. And Jesus is far less worried about the, the minutes and the hours than I think we are. And we need to come to this position where we're not thinking about 10 minutes or an hour or days. We're thinking about eternity. We're thinking about God's purposes being outworked rather than, oh no, I feel like maybe this last... Mark could say, these last three weeks have been such a waste. 
right? I could have been building the kingdom. I could have been attending leadership team meetings. I could have been helping my wife. I could have been spending weeks, you know, every day spending like an, two hours extra in prayer. What a waste of these last three weeks. I've been so tired and so ill that I haven't been able to do anything except basically sit in front of the TV. Is that pretty much it, Mark? And you could say, what a waste of time. But that's the wrong way to think. That's the wrong question to ask. That's looking at a clock and being obsessed by a clock. When you understand that God's purposes are bigger than that, three weeks are nothing in God's plan. And so we need to stop looking at the clock and stop worrying and move on from there. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Exactly, sometimes we're moving so quickly that we don't have time to see what God is doing. So that's the second secret. Stop being obsessed by the clock. The third is this. We need to learn to become content in the waiting. Content in the waiting. Um, our, our, Our mutual friend, John Churcher, right, has a reputation for arriving early, right? If you say the time to meet is 10.30, right, John will arrive at 10.15, right? Guaranteed. He, for him, if he arrives at 10.20, he's, pu- he's pushing it fine, right? So if you, if you lead a prayer meeting in your house, right, John will always get there. You, you can guarantee that John's going to come through the door at like sort of, you know, 20 minutes, 15 minutes early, right? That's John's on time time, right? There are some people, Patrick, that is always late, right? Patrick is never on time, right? Never on time for anything, as far as I can tell, right? Um, I'm one of those people that like to be just exactly on time, right? Okay, if, I, 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 if, if a meeting starts at 10.30, I want to arrive at 10.29, right? And I will, I will sometimes faff around right, and do things at home and I'll leave myself just enough time to get there exactly on time. But then, of course, what happens is I become super stressed because basically then I'm rushing and I'm like, man, there's traffic. Why is there traffic in the way? I did not anticipate and plan for this traffic to get there at 10.29. But if I go early and I find myself with 10 minutes to spare, I feel like what a waste of 10 minutes, right? Okay, that's how, that's how I'm living. I am not good at waiting. I hate waiting. I hate waiting for anything, right? Who, who, who here loves queuing, right? We're all British. Most of us are British here. And if you're British, for any period of time, you find that you, you become obsessed by queuing, right? We, were in, we went to McDonald's yesterday at Blue Water, and I was most upset because I got in one queue, right? And I sat in the queue for ages and realised the queue wasn't going anywhere and had to change queues because that queue was faster, right? I hate waiting in line. I hate waiting for anything, And we live in a society, don't we, where we are just not able to wait for very long for anything. What's that? Impulse, Impulse. yeah, yeah, yeah. But James chapter 2 says this. Sorry, James chapter 1 verse 2 says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, in your Bible, it may say, let your faith produce patience, and let patience have its full effect. You see, we do not like being patient or waiting for things. Well, certainly I don't. I want to just get there, and I want to get there on time, and I want it to happen immediately. But we need to learn in God to become content in the waiting. You know, when you're waiting for things, you generally have three emotional responses, 
right? You have the first emotional response, which is frustration. Who's a frust gets frustrated? If they're waiting, right, for things to happen, they get frustrated. I get frustrated, particularly in life. You know, if you're waiting for something, like you're waiting for a job to pan out, or you're waiting for someone to sort something out for you, and you're just, and I tend to get very agitated. I get frustrated. And frustrated people then try to take action. They're trying to do something about it, right? So you'll be like, right, I'm feeling frustrated. This hasn't happened how I want. What I've got to do is I've got to take matters into my own hands. Anyone do that? Yeah? Try and sort it out myself, right? That will be your response, right, if you are a frustrated person. Some people, when things don't happen how they want, get disappointed. That's the second emotion. They get disappointed, and so some people don't get frustrated, they get disappointed. And disappointed people, um, particularly if they've had to wait a long time, can get very angry and, and disappointed with God or disappointed with people. And it becomes a real point of hurt. Yeah, It becomes a real position of, of hurt and pain. And actually that disappointment, particularly in, when it relates to things of God, it can subtly become a sin of doubt in God's goodness. So you begin to say, God, you haven't done what I thought you were going to do in the time that you were going to do it, and I'm not content in waiting, and so I'm feeling really disappointed. Mark could say, I'm disappointed that I'm not better. I'm disappointed that I'm still feeling unwell. And so what happens is you slip into the sin of self-pity, and you slip into the sin of feeling you know, that basically somehow God is not good, or God is not kind, and what happens is subtly that relationship with God separates. And your relationship with God separates because you're no longer close to him and you're basically frustrated in a different way with him. So the first thing is frustration. The second thing is disappointment. The third is this, paralysis. Some people, when things aren't going how they want to go, they just freeze. They freeze. Uh, and, and they freeze by basically just burying their head in the sands. Right, I know people like this, and when things aren't working out and they're waiting for God to do things, they're waiting for something happens, what they do is they just put their head in the sand and they bury it and they just ignore it and they pretend that like nothing's happened and they work as hard as they can, they busy themselves every minute of every day to try and somehow like just block out the fact that this thing has not happened. So they're not trying to sort it out, they're not trying to get emotional or disappointed, they just can't deal with that. So what they do is they basically just hope, just like shut everything out and pretend that nothing's going on. But again, it's not really dealing with the heart issues because what they're doing is basically uh, they're, they're essentially not facing up to the truth. And this morning we have a response. If we are to understand the secrets of timing in God, we need to understand that how we respond to these feelings is a really important thing. You see, every day you've got a fire in your heart. And if you chuck another log of bitterness on there, or disappointment, or frustration, you are fueling the fires of emotion that will basically take you away from being closer to God. You can choose to allow the emotion of disappointment, of frustration, of fear, of paralysis to overtake you, or you can come to a place where you're trusting in God. And you're saying, God, I don't understand this time of waiting, but I'm not going to allow my feelings to dictate how I respond to this. I'm going to allow you to guide me. John Piper says, and I like this quote, he says, waiting on the Lord is the opposite to running ahead of the Lord. 
And it's the opposite of bailing out on the Lord, as in just giving up. It's staying at your appointed place while he stays. Or if he's going or going at his anointed pace while he says go, it's not impetuous and it's not despairing. You see, where temptation is to run ahead and try and sort it yourself, or the temptation is to try and bury your head in the sand and go nothing and say, God, I've had enough of this. And so many people in their lives, they give up on God because they're not prepared to wait. And they get frustrated and they think, right, I'm going to deal with this myself. And of course, they end up far away from God. And then they look back and wonder, God's back there somewhere and they've moved all the way over here. And then they're wondering, God, where are you? And God's saying, well, I'm where I I said I was and you're the one that's run off. And praise God that God always comes back and gets us. Amen. But, you know, if we are to discover the secret of walking with God, we have to learn to move at his time, at his pace. We have to be prepared to wait for him. And say, and we need that vision of God. We need to stop looking at the clock. We need to learn to become content in the waiting. And I want to just say this, you know, just as a side note, we need to be careful not to be jealous of other people's seasons. You know, we, we read in Ecclesiastes chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, didn't we? It says there's a season for everything under heaven. But, you know, you and I are not necessarily in the same season. You know, you might be in a different season to me. You might be in a season of, of really like where the Lord's ploughing up your field and he's turning your life over and you're really not enjoying it and the person next to you is receiving all this blessing and everything's growing wonderfully and their life's going brilliantly and, and their ministry's expanding and their finances are expanding and their, everything's going wonderfully for them and you're looking at them thinking, why can't I be in their season, right? But God's saying you're in your season, And don't be jealous of what someone else is going through. God is taking you on your path and you need to choose to be in that season. I want to say one last thing here uh, as well about God's timing um, before we finish. And this is this. Sometimes God is ready to move on and we're not. Sometimes the problem is that God's going too too slow. God's going too fast for us. Has anyone been experienced where God's moving too quickly for us? Yeah, and, and God's saying, right, come on, we need to move on. We need to go into this next thing. And you're going, hang on a second, I, I just can't handle that right now. Yeah, I, I'm, just, I'm just about coping with where I'm at. And you're now asking me, God, to do the next thing. I can't handle that. I remember once, um, a few years ago, God had asked me to uh, go. I was working three days a week for, the, uh, for the, the, the trust that I was working for and two days a week for the church. And I wanted to be more available for the church. And I knew God had said that. Uh, I knew the church couldn't pay me anymore. Um, and so I knew that I had to go down to two days a week uh, at the trust. And I was going to take a day's unpaid leave or unpaid, you know, so I'd go basically only get paid four days a week, uh, but have three days for the church. I knew that was the right decision. And uh, God had said it, but what did I do? I delayed, right? And I thought to myself, I'm not quite sure I'm ready for this, right? What about the money? Or maybe there's a good reason why I can wait or do this or that or the other. And so what did I do? I faffed, right? And I then delayed it and I thought, well, I can't do it until this point. And I ended up delaying it about four months in the end or maybe even five months. Can I tell you, those four, three, four, five months were some of the most difficult months that I've experienced in my life. Because God was moving on, and I wasn't ready to move with him. And so I was out of the will of the Lord. You know, um, I just, it's a bit like a picture. If, if, um, wait, let's, let's get, go on, Alice, you come here, right? Okay, we're going to do this as a demonstration, right? See if you can keep up. Your job is to keep up with me, right? So we're walking together. We're walking together, you see? 
And that's how the Lord wants us to be. Right? The problem is, is if I'm stuck, you know, you, you go ahead. So you're moving ahead and God said, I'm, I'm going to stand here and enjoy the view. Right? Well, what happens if, if you know, Alice has run off now, look, you know, that's all right. Don't worry, but what happens if God moves on and you stay still? There's a separation, isn't there, between you and God. Thanks, Alice. You can sit down now. Well done. But God wants us to move, doesn't he, step by step with him. God, you know, God it says, what did Adam, Adam do with, with God every day in the garden? What did he do with him? He walked with him. Every evening, just talking to him, walking to him. How can Alice and I have a conversation when Alice is all the way back there and I'm all the way up here? It's, suddenly, it's not, the, it's not a, it's a friend-to-friend conversation, is it? It's a, it's a distant conversation and God wants us to walk in step with him. And sometimes God stops and says, look, let's just look at the view. I just want you to wait here for a minute. And you're like, no, no, I want, I want to get on. And maybe you're stood by the edge of a road and there's passing traffic. And the Lord's saying, stop, because if you go in the middle of the road, you're going to get knocked over. But we can't see that, can we? Right? And, and what the Lord wants to do is he wants to take you to a position where you're walking step by step with him all the way. And that's the secret. The secrets of it are is that, first of all, you've got to see that God has got a plan and a vision for your life. And if you're feeling like you're stuck waiting for God, you need to say, God, what are you, sh- what are you showing me? Yeah, Tony's asking the Lord to provide him a house. And that may happen really quickly, it may not. But you need to know what God is saying to you for that situation. Yeah? Right, you may be waiting for, Mark may be waiting for his health to get better. He's got to say, Lord, what are you doing in this situation? What do I need to see of you? And the second thing we need to do is we need to stop watching the clock. Stop realising that minutes and hours and days are far less important to God than they are to us. And thirdly, we need to become content in the waiting, content in the season we're in, content to go at the pace that God is going at. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Let's, let's stand and pray. And, uh, and Alice, can we sing that song, Lord, I Need You again? Is that all right?